With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. Covering breaking news and current events as it pertains to Bible prophecy. In effect, chronicling the coming of Christ the King. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune. This May the 27th, 2017. It is a great privilege and an honor to be here with you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's take a gander at our current situation, shall we? As store layoffs mount, retail lags, other sectors in retaining workers, as published at NPR. This article goes on to say that the major bulk of the workforce is in serious trouble because if they can't do e-commerce, logistics, or drive a truck, they are soon to be out of a job and no job is available for them to get another one. Take note of this. After hundreds of thousands of marine life died in January... A new mystery in Canada's Nova Scotia unfolds as dead and damaged fish are washing up again. This week, pelicans and other species of aquatic birds are being found in Florida. Now, the problem with this is is the state in which they are found. They're being found disoriented disoriented and bleeding from the mouth ladies and gentlemen consider this there is a deadly heat wave in India where it's reaching absolutely anomalous temperatures reaching up to 122 degrees Fahrenheit, have so far claimed 161 lives. The article that I'm looking at, it's the kind of temperature humans shouldn't have to endure. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have much to cover in this two hours. We're going to present the status of this planet that we're living in. If you're not in tune with the entertainment industry, you're probably well up to speed. However, if your normal modes and means of information is the entertainment industry, I think tonight you're going to be in for quite a surprise. 
for we, your host, Clinton Co-Watch, Brian Ingram, and I, Matthew Miller, oiled the sackles. We've brushed down the steeds. Behold, their shoes are made of solid iron. Let's get this show on the road, ladies and gentlemen. Let's ride. Why, you're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of the End Time Tribune. Let's get uh, Clinton on here. How's your week went, uh, Clinton? Yeah, it's been a pretty good week and uh, glad to be here. And uh, it's uh, going to be interesting to be talking about uh, kind of the evolution of the economic endgame that we're starting to be able to see. So it's going to be a blast. Amen. Amen. I hear that. Brian, how'd your week go, buddy? Uh, what have you been looking into? And I hear that we're going to be doing um, another broadcast here pretty soon. So I want to show everybody about that uh, in your introduction there. Well, it's been one of those interesting weeks, that's for certain. Uh, went down some different trails trying to understand a few things that have been happening personally throughout my life. And it sort of ended up going into a whole other trail that everything sort of locked itself together. Now, I've been working on uh, getting some different things uh, collected here as far as, uh, well, basically what's happened here with America, what's happened here with this current administration, looking at their plan of what they're doing. The infamous uh, Eric Prince has deeply, deeply come into this situation and when I do, um, you know, my portions of stuff before the break, I'm going to bring in this audio clip from the video, from the interview um, that took place on Fox News on Sunday, and it was just literally disturbing because you had the impression that it's as if he's been listening to everything we've been saying and repeated word for word the same concepts in this interview, so... You know, there's so much more going on in this at the moment, and it's just, uh, you know, to sort of almost amplify what Clinton just said, you know, last night into early this morning, when you began to look around at all of the events that were happening one after another after another, it's almost as if all the major shots began to be fired for World War Part three it was just i was literally blown away at all the things that i saw happening one after another last night so we'll get into all that a bit later hey man well clinton um you've got me kind of chomping at the bit here um <laughs> we've been in so much side stuff that i haven't spent too much time looking at the news this week so i know what's going on in retail and i know what's going on here locally um, just so everybody knows, uh, there's a term used in retail management. It's called headhunting. Uh, they do this uh, whenever they need a reduction in force. They'll just start looking for reasons to fire people. Well, um, two different people that I know, both of their places of employment, two absolutely different sectors, uh, both places of employment had three people terminated this very week. So they know something. <laughs> On top of that, uh, here locally we had uh, a new grocery store open, and they had their grand opening just here two weeks ago. And the husband and wife owners uh, just announced that they're leaving all of a sudden, and they just built this brand new store. It was just finished in February, but they wanted to wait till spring to have their grand opening. So there's things going on in the economy, no doubt about it. So, Clinton, uh, get in the saddle, buddy. 
Yeah, thanks for having me again. Um, basically, the um, one of the big things I wanted to kind of address is, is kind of revolving around the oil market at this point and what's going on in the, in the world based off of that. I mean, we, we know that the strength of the U.S. dollar is basically tied to the strength of oil. Um, oil is probably the most valuable commodity in the world. And it's many wars have been fought over it. Um, and there's many speculations that the reason that we officially went into Iraq uh, to take out Saddam Hussein was because he was starting to change, uh, starting to sell his oil um, in the euro instead of the U.S. dollar. And if we continue that, or the oil-producing uh, countries continue that, then the dollar loses prominence in the world economy. And if the dollar loses its value, then the rest of the world doesn't need to use it, and then it becomes obsolete, and then we have to find a new currency. Uh, for the longest time, a lot of analysts that watched the unfolding of the economy were basically saying, you know, the whole end game is to kind of crash it. Um, but it, it, it seems like it's it's twisting a little bit um, and it's kind of unique to see how they're doing it. And they're basically using the oil market to transfer power, I guess you could say from the rest of the world to the United States. And, and the reason I say that is uh, for the longest time, OPEC and Saudi Arabia um, have been in charge of oil prices. Um, basically if they wanted to oil prices to go up, they cut down production and the amount of oil out there um, went down. So then the cost of it went up and then they made more money. And when they had people infringing on their marketplace, they dropped the price. So that way these small market players could not uh, sell the oil for higher prices. And then they went out of business and then, you know, OPEC goes and raises the price again. Um, well, this has gone on for, you know, since the seventies, basically um, that they've been doing this. Um, well, most recently, there's been an issue because there's been too much oil being produced. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how this is playing out. And I'm just going to kind of dive into what, this article from uh, CNN Money. And it basically, you know, Saudi Arabia and OPEC are no longer in control. They no longer have the ability to manipulate prices. And it says OPEC sent a plea to the United States earlier this month to stop pumping so much oil. The plea came after a flood of supply from U.S. shale producers, especially from the Poseidon Basin in Texas and New Mexico. And it continues going to say that reality is the United States is now the swing producer. So what has happened is Saudi Arabia and Russia have actually gone into an agreement um, to, you know, to do whatever it takes to support the oil market. Um, and they plan on doing production cuts. So they, they've been dropping the amount of oil they're producing into the market, and they are working on doing this until March of 2018. Now, the drawback of this is the United States has then increased production. So OPEC and Saudi Arabia, Russia, all these oil countries are dropping their production, and the United States is increasing their production. Now, so that's not allowing... OPEC and Russia to control the price of oil and control the oil market. And, and what is happening is um, that as that develops, um, it is transferring power primarily to the United States. And, and the reason that I say that is the United States trades oil in the U.S. dollar. The rest of the world 
trades oil in the U.S. dollar. Recently, Iran has come out and said, no, we're not going to use the dollar. And that is the trend that most of the countries that are associated to the BRICS nations um, are wanting to do, to, to no longer use the U.S. dollar to be able to supply um, the, the money or the, the oil that they're getting. Now, recently, um, OPEC, uh, the United States has been increasing their production of the, um, I'm sorry, I was, had all these articles on my computer and everything just shut down. Um, but uh, OPEC, um, you know, is dropping the production. The United States is increasing their production. So basically they're transferring the money over. Now, the United States, Donald Trump is actually talking about unlocking the reserves that the United States has. Now, the United States has something like, you know, 687 million barrels or billion barrels or something like that. Uh, my computer just came back up. 687 million barrels in salt caverns in Texas and Louisiana. And these are the oil reserves that the United States has to you know, ward off any kind of unplanned you know, circumstances, natural disasters, stuff like that. Well, part of Donald Trump's proposal is to drop that from 687 million to 260 million. So he plans on flooding the market with 420 million, do- uh, million barrels of oil when the market is already completely saturated with oil. Now, you think, okay, why would the United States do this to our best ally, Saudi Arabia? You know, why would Saudi Arabia even go along with this or do anything? Well, there's two reasons. One, uh, well, Saudi Arabia just purchased the largest oil refinery in Texas, in the United States, basically, the, uh, here, I think, a month or two ago. So there's a mass gluttony of oil, but the money is going to be made in refining that oil, not necessarily producing that oil, because we're just grabbing barrels that oil's already produced. So the money's going to be in the refinery, plus Saudi Arabia has what's called the Vision 2030. And their plan is by 2030 to get out of the oil market. So if they're planning on getting out of the oil market by 2030, and they are supposedly the largest oil producer and they have tons of oil, who fills that void? Well, this article goes on and says the reality is who is left and who could push the global production curve around. And that is the United States. So we have, you know, Donald Trump is looking at drilling in the Arctic. He's looking at opening wildlife reserves. He's talking about drilling offshores. You know, drill, baby, drill. We're going to be drilling all this oil out. And the whole plan is to make it to where we are going to be the main producer and we are going to control the oil prices and starve out everyone else if we can. Now, the reason that that I say this is kind of built into, you know, a lot of the other things that are going on with the, the development of the economy. And, and we'll take, for instance, this development of the Silk Road that, that China is trying to bring to um, Europe, you know, the old ancient highway, you know, to, of trade patterns. Um, now, China right now um, is having some complications because they're footing the entire bill. Um, and they recently had a conference where they brought in a bunch of bankers, HSBC, you know, uh, I think USBC was there. A lot of other banks were there and they all came out and gave their, you know, a little spiel saying, you know, this is absolutely wonderful that, uh, you know, we're doing this. We're all on board. Uh, we plan on investing money into doing this. Um, the only thing about it is 
they don't really want to put in the money. I mean, the return is going to be long drawn. It's not going to be right away. There's a lot of infrastructure that has to be built in it. So the banks are kind of leery. So China's going to be paying the entire bill and they have to maintain their economy to do so. Well, it's getting to the point that, A, they're having a hard time holding up their economy. Uh, they recently just had the credit rating dropped from Moody's um, because they're saying that the Chinese uh, uh, government is taking on too much debt to keep their economy afloat. So if they're taking on too much debt to keep their economy afloat, well, their credit rating goes down. They can't borrow as much money to keep their economy afloat. So, you know, it's ambitious to expand on your trade routes when you don't have the ability to expand on your trade routes. So that's going to be very interesting. But then we also have what's going on in Pakistan and the destabilization that's happening in Pakistan, which is the very first step. Well, you have Afghanistan, then you have Pakistan, but pretty much, you know what I mean? So the first step is to go through Pakistan for this highway. So they're talking about, you know, Pakistan is being destabilized. Uh, There's issues with Pakistan going across the border into Iran, going across the border into India. Um, So Pakistan is really a main issue. And then if you look at this most recent trip by Donald Trump uh, around the Middle East, he's basically calling out Iran, which is right next to Pakistan, which is the next phase in the Silk Road. So, you know, Donald Trump came out talking to the, the Arab world saying, you know, you need to go in and you need to drive your terrorists out. Well, you know, he's, he's saying that in Saudi Arabia. So, and he's also calling that Iran, which is a completely different sect of Islam. So you can kind of see the battle lines in a way being drawn when it comes to that. Now, the complications for the Silk Road is on a trade platform. And, and the reason that trade is going to be very important with what's coming on is if as we produce more oil through the United States and more com- countries have to purchase oil from the United States, which brings those dollars back into the United States. We also know, according to Donald Trump's tax plan, that he wants to basically remove taxes for corporations overseas so they can bring that money in. And we also know that there's a, a loophole to allow uh, individuals to bring that money from overseas into the United States once the tax plan is, is put in place. Now, originally, the thought was that, well, this money would be brought in the United States. You're going to have hyperinflation because you're going to have too many dollars out there. Well, if you put a stranglehold on the oil market, you have the outcome of what's happening in Venezuela right now. Venezuela was a very large oil producer and was actually doing pretty well. They, they, were, they were holding up their economy pretty well. Um, and right now, they're in absolute chaos. And that is from controlling the price of oil at a lower rate. So if that happens in Venezuela and, it, and it's driving them uh, down at We know Russia took a major hit with their economy with the oil production down. We know Saudi Arabia uh, a year ago said that they had four years until they run out of cash at current oil prices. Well, if we control the production and we ramp up production, we control the oil market, which means everyone has to come to the United States to purchase oil. So then we're creating what's called a deflationary cycle around the world which means that, you know, 
they don't have money to be able to buy things, so they don't go out and buy things. So then stores don't sell things. So then stores can't keep people employed. So they lay people off. And then those people don't have jobs, so they can't buy things. So then the store closes and it continues down that cycle. Where if they allow the influx of all this money coming in the United States and they do try to produce jobs any way they can, um, there's a, a strong possibility the United States will then have a large portion of those dollars. And yeah, it's going to be very expensive to live in the United States, but it's going to be very cheap to do anything overseas. And I think that is what the, the plan is. Um, and that's what is developing in the global market at this point. Now, we also know um, that this, you know, credit downgrading is not just subject to China. Um, it turns out that every single financial institution in Australia was recently downgraded because they anticipate an increased risk of a sharp correction in property prices. So that basically tells you that, you know, the credit agencies believe that housing is going to tank in Australia. And that's why they've downgraded the amount of money that banks can borrow because they don't want them to borrow more money to cause more negative equity. And that's basically what's, what is coming out on this. We know from Canada that we have, you know, their, their largest uh, mortgager, um, which is home capital, uh, basically can't can't function. They 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 are mathematically not able to continue as a company, and it's it's pretty disturbing because they're changing from being a mortgage company to just selling off all their assets. So we know Canada is in a major crisis. Well, if it's affecting Australia, it's affecting Canada, and it's affecting the UK. The UK dropped thirteen percent last month as well. So then we know that this is a global phenomenon and we know that the United States is going to be affected as well. Um, and unfortunately that's just kind of how, how everything is kind of laying out at this point. Now, on top of that, we have Brexit, you know, we have great Britain that, or the UK pulling away from the, you know, the EU and the EU keeps up in the ante up to 120 billion. I think is what the last I heard that, Great Britain is going to have to pay the EU to be able to leave Brexit or to leave and, and com complete Brexit. Well, their largest cheerleader, the, the one that rooted them on the most that said the Brexit was the best thing in the, in the entire world was Donald Trump. And Donald Trump recently came out saying, um, I don't think Brexit's a very good idea because it's going to affect American jobs. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're destabilizing the world trade. You're, you're making it to where Great Britain, the United States, China, all these countries all over the world, not just because of Brexit, but all these countries are having to renegotiate trade, which means trade stops. And if trade stops, well, companies aren't making money, so they're not paying employees, and then you can see where the cycle continues from there. Now, the... The disturbing thing I, I see is a combination of the oil, the healthcare, and the budget bill. Um, we know with with the budget, basically, it's going to be a substantial decrease in funding to the poor and the elderly uh, for programs, you know, like uh, school lunches, um, Medicaid, um, you know, just 
basically everything that the portion of the population that needs help gets is being cut. Where, but where's the, the increase? And the one increase is in military spending. And, and I'll go back to that in one second. Um, but then you look at healthcare, and healthcare basically healthcare is is a business that should not be a business. And and the reason that I say that is healthcare is a business that should be, not be in place to be for profit. It should be in place as a public service. Um, and if insurance companies were ran as a public service instead of for profit, then we wouldn't have the healthcare issue that we have. Now, the problem is with the healthcare bill that's being pulled out um, is that that's going to make it more for profit and less for services than we have currently. And, and the reason that I say that is the healthcare bill basically cuts everything from anyone that's poor or has pre-existing, injury, uh, pre-existing conditions or that is elderly. I saw one report that said that, you know, an elderly person, I think they were, you know, 65 or something like that. And they, they were paying, I think, you know, $1,300 a month for, you know, their, their premiums uh, through Medicaid or whatever. Um, and that $1,300 on a new plan is going to be increased to $13,000 annually. And for people that are stuck on a fixed income, that means you're not getting health care which means you're not getting your medication, which means you're not going to be around for long. I hate to say that, but that that's exactly what that means. People that have pre-existing conditions, if you have a mental disorder and you're not allowed to get medication because it's a pre-existing condition, we're going to have a massive population with, you know, without having their prescription drugs on, on the streets. And some of these people haven't been without their drugs in years. Uh, so that's going to be very crazy. So basically, the only population that's going to be benefited by both the budget and also the health care plan are those individuals that already have money. And if you have money, oh, yeah, you're going to do well because you have money. Then you're going to be able to buy everything you want for very cheap overseas. I mean, Donald Trump is even saying that uh, Germany is – a bad, bad boys, and they're very, very bad because they sell too many German cars to the United States, and they don't buy enough American cars. And it'll be great if if uh, Germany wants to sell cars in the United States, but they need to build them in the United States, or they're going to pay a thirty-five percent tax. Well, Volkswagen's already in trouble. Um, the, the United States is one of the largest market. And paying 35% tax, that just means the American public is going to have an increase of 35% on all their German products or their German automobiles. So that means prices are going to go up. So a penalization against the Germans only penalizes us. So, again, it benefits those that already have money because, well, it doesn't matter to them. Now, the reason I brought up the increase in military spending is you have the best way to put it is you have a large population within the United States that's going to be left outside of society. And the reason I say left out of society, because they're not going to have a paycheck and they're not going to have healthcare and they're not going to have a house. So what do you do with these people? Well, 
there's there's two directions that things are headed, and unfortunately, the government's headed in one direction, and there's a recent outcry for the second direction, and the government is increasing military spending. We are doing massive weapons deals with Saudi Arabia and other countries around the world. We have our third aircraft carrier is headed to North Korea, and we know that they are, you know, and I mean, they as Trump and Putin uh, already said, hey, we're going to talk about North Korea in July. So don't really do anything till then. So we know that they're building up for that. So the funnel is into the military. The funnel is to move people that are unproductive in society to give them the option to either join the military and go into whatever war we choose to go into or live on the streets. And I, I, I hate that I came to this conclusion. I absolutely do. But from a number standpoint, it just makes sense. It just absolutely makes sense that this is the direction they're headed. Now, the, the second direction has been recently brought up by a lot of people, and most recently by Mark Zuckerberg um, when he did his commencement at, at Harvard and received his honorary degree, um, was universal income. Now, we know that this is being tried in Sweden and Finland already. Um, and Italy is also talking about doing the same thing, which means that everyone gets a paycheck from the government to help compensate for the increase of prices. Well, we know that Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg are all both coming out and lots of others are saying that as automation, as technology increases, as IT increase, or increases, jobs are going to go away, which means your skills, if you don't have a certain skill level or special kind of skill, you will be obsolete and you will have to either develop those skills very quickly to survive, or you're going to have to have some kind of government funding. And the direction seems to be to head into this universal income. Now that was part of the original analysis was that universal income would be the final phase that is put in place before hyperinflation takes over. Because once you're paying people a guaranteed income, then there's too much currency out there and the value goes down and then your hyperinflationary scenario happens. Um, so I don't think that that is the ultimate plan in the beginning until things get destabilized and everything gets funneled to the United States. Then maybe that may happen, but it's not going to help people in the meantime. So it's it, it, it's we got a lot of things kind of going crazy at, at one point. Now the the other thing is we have this travel ban where Donald Trump put in place uh, just recently when he first got into office. I guess, I guess it's still recently. It's only been what three months, um, but. Uh, uh, you know, he put this in place and, it, and the countries that he recognized in the travel ban are just eerily similar to countries spoken about in Ezekiel 3839. Um, but that's just a side note. Uh, we recently know that an appeals court just upheld the travel ban, uh, you know, saying that the, the block, I should say, for, of the travel ban is upheld and that the United States, the entire United States should uphold this blocking. Well, the attorney 
uh, general came out, Jeff Sessions, and said that this is against the administration. This is against what they want to do. And they are going to take this to the Supreme Court. Um, so the next phase is for the Supreme Court to say, will they listen to this? And yes, they will listen to this. And we already know that the Supreme Court is already swayed in the direction to where this travel ban will pass. Um, I mean, if, if things would have played out the way that they're supposed to, we would not have um, the Supreme Court in the situation that it is, um, where it's five to four on the conservative side. Um, but unfortunately, that is the scenario we're in. So anticipates that the Supreme Court listening to this travel ban, and there's a strong probability that this travel ban will be put in place. And if this is put in place, you can see that persecution of people, Christians, that, for instance, like the, the, the attack that just happened in uh, Egypt against the Coptic Christians, that will continue and that will escalate if this travel ban goes through. And then the destabilization of the Middle East will continue, and and we're headed in that direction at this point. Um, you know, I mean, it's just one final little thing. You know, I mean, they just had the G seven uh, G7 summit, and you know, day one when they're talking about terrorism went pretty good. Uh, day two when they're talking about climate and African poverty, that's when everything went crazy. Well, at least come together to stop African poverty. You know, I mean, at least try to help people there instead of just lump them together with climate change and say you're not going to do anything with climate change. Um, and we know the whole philosophy of drill, baby, drill does not go with climate change. So we know that, that we're not going to be involved in that. And the rest of the world is very upset. And the rest of the world is very upset that Donald Trump is calling in the loans as well. All the NATO countries, all the countries that we have provided military support to over the last, you know, 50 years since World War II or however long it's been, they owe us money and they haven't paid us money. And I mean us as the United States. They, they never had any intentions to and they can't afford to, especially with Brexit going on. And with the crisis in Greece and Italy and Spain and all the other pigs nations, they can't afford to, but we're calling in the loans because we're trying to siphon money from the rest of the world and bring it to the United States. And this is only going to destabilize Europe even more. So, well, I hope this got us started guys, but I wanted to just get this little tidbit in. I'll hand it over to you, Matthew. Well, Clinton, I, I wanted to say this. Uh, you know, you said that we're throwing all the trade deals into chaos, absolutely. And it, I just want to remind everybody that uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 16 and 17. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked. And will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose. And by giving their kingdom to the beast and to the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. 
we are certainly spreading our bill of chaos with all of this negotiations going on. And as far as China and the One Belt, One Road, I did some research today uh, by way of picking up the phone and calling a finance professor that's a very good friend of mine. All I had to do was say One Belt, One Road, and he said, oh, yeah, I, I know exactly what they're doing. I said, really? What's that? He said, when you expect a fiat currency to collapse, you build absolutely everything you can before that event horizon. Why on earth would you do that? He says, quite easy. Don't you know that once the fiat, the, the fiat currency goes default, you don't have to pay back any of the loans. So you want to build as much infrastructure before that event horizon. And he said another thing I would do be get as many tangible assets as possible, as humanly possible. Okay, what kind of assets would you buy? He said, well, anything with value. Most importantly, land, tillable land. That's what he said, tillable land. If it's not tillable, it must be grazable. Then you go to the commodities, which are the basis for civilization. Really? What would that be? He said copper, silver, zinc. He named off quite a few others. He said, then I would look to history. Uh, what does history tell you? Well, the silver will double, double back, of course, because it is not only a monetary metal. It's, of course, extensively used uh, in manufacturing of electronics. He said the other one is, is gold, of course. And he asked me, because have you heard anything about what China's doing along those lines? I said, well, I've been told that they just opened their own own gold exchange or something like that. He goes, yes, that is correct. They have, and they've been buying everything up. He says, what they're doing is textbook. And I said, well, have you spoken about this in any lectures yet? He said, no, I haven't, and I'm not going to tell any of my students this, but this is a personal friend of mine, and I remodeled two bathrooms in his house and his kitchen, and I remodeled his basement. He's a very good friend of mine. So everything that just came out of Clinton's mouth, I just found out about today. That's why China is sinking everything into their one belt, one road, which was kept underneath the table. Most Americans had their eyes fixated on this gold exchange that, that China had come up with and this new, uh, uh, this new means. Uh, Clinton did tell us about it. Uh, some type of interbank loan things where they exchange money outside of uh, our bank interest. That's what most Americans have been looking to, but they don't realize that. The other thing you would do besides the gold and set up your own means of trade would be to build everything you would need to do that. Check the news. I think me and Brian's already talked about several of these items. Uh, right now, mentioning Pakistan, they're building that great big uh, 
energy uh, facility uh, that's going to produce all the electricity for the One Belt, One Road, road well, Railway. Right now, they are drudging a – well, it's just like the Panama Canal. They're massively building everything off the charts. They're in multiple com- uh, countries, multiple continents, building everything they need for this new One Belt, One Road. The rails, the rail stations, uh, the docks to do their shipping on, and it's all exclusive to them. Whether you know it, ladies and gentlemen, everybody's jumping on this bandwagon because uh, China is telling them that not only this, you have a protection. Let us say you're in the Philippines and something happens to the docks that are assigned to the One Belt, One Road. Well, guess what? You'll have security by way of the full military might of the Red Chinese Army. They will protect it for you because they want you to put things on the ships. They want all the ships, all the trains full all the time. So that's how you get benefit from it, whatever you can make. I mean, if they make shoes in the Philippines, put them on the One Belt, One Road ships and trains and ship them down the line. And this will work like a great big circulatory system that will benefit everybody across the board. So I spent about two hours talking to him today. And it chilled me to the bone whenever he said that, that he was not going to do any lecturing on this. He doesn't want his American students to know. That should really get your attention. You know, Clinton just sent me an article. Headline, China's largest ghost city is now almost completely full, but there's a twist. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a feeling I really don't want to know what this says. I got a feeling I really don't want to know it after the conversation I had today. Clinton, why don't you jump on here and explain this article? Obviously read it uh, before I've had a chance to look at it, but I had a feeling that something was going to go on with these ghost cities. I think me and Brian covered this a couple of years ago, and I think there's, I don't know, 20 or 30 of these huge cities that are completely put together and ready to go. And People didn't realize that they were probably strategically placing these cities, so why don't you… Jump on here and explain why this would be in Forbes magazine for us. Well, you brought up, you know, that uh, when you see a fiat currency crashing, that you spend it as fast as you can to make some kind of asset. And and that article I sent you was back in 2016. Um, and there's, you know, they've been doing this for years where they're building these massive cities. And the world looked upon them and and laughed, going, why is China building these massive metropolises that no one lives? Like, no one lives in these cities. Um, and and I, it just kind of sparked it when Matthew said, you know, that the reason to, you know, when a fiat currency is, is falling, just spend as fast as you can. Well, that's what they're doing, is they're basically making these 
these cities so that way when everything collapses, they have another city to go on. And what you're witnessing with the commodity market and with China um, and Russia and all the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, China, India, and South uh, Africa, all these countries getting together, you basically have that economic plan, which is to when, when the world economy crashes, uh, to bring in a new economy, which is based off of a gold standard, which means that the currency is going to be backed by gold and silver, which is why a lot of people believe that China is purchasing so much gold and silver is because they plan on backing their currency with it. And they plan on being the, the main strategic global currency because, well, they're the only ones. Um, I mean, other countries like Venezuela are selling their gold. Um, India is looking to confiscate their gold from their, civil, uh, their citizens, um, possibly to do the same thing, because India is talking about opening up their gold exchange as well. Um, so that is the, the BRICS plan is to move everything to uh, a stabilized gold standard once the fiat currency collapses, where the United States stance is to siphon as much money they can from the entire world and then purchase everything before it collapses, which is the same kind of concept of making sure that you use your money in to get assets. It's just the United States plans on buying the, as much of the world as they can before that happens. Well, let me, let me add this little tidbit before we go to break. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you need to consider what your government is considering because it's obvious to me. They absolutely want this to be kept out of the news. If you don't know what euthanasia is, it's exactly what Clinton was describing, where this plan is obviously going, ladies and gentlemen. They're cutting – gutting, not cutting, gutting everything to do uh, with the elderly and or the poor for one reason. Here, let me just run this down. It's legal – to euthanize your elderly in Luxembourg, in Colombia, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in Canada, <laughs> and in the U.S. That's right, in the U.S., in New Mexico, Oregon, Montana, Vermont, and Washington, in Albania, in Japan… Germany and Switzerland. That's where this is going. That's what they're preparing for. That's where this is going. We've heard Clinton over the past month, month and a half tell us that uh, you know there's real dire straits for the for the millennials. They are the 18 to 34-year-old class. Most of them, I just found out yesterday, I think, most of them uh, haven't – they don't even have $1,000 saved up to buy a house. They can't leave their parents' residences because they can't find jobs. Ladies and gentlemen, 
That's why all the money is being transferred from public services to international extermination programs. That's why. Just look at the numbers. It's perfectly obvious. And by the way, if you're a grandmother that lives in one of those states I mentioned, you might want to move. You may just want to move. With that in mind, we're going to a 10-minute and one-second break and take a listen to the book of Revelation, chapters 19 through 21. We'll be right back. The Revelation, chapter 19. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice cried out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. 
these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The Revelation, chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but there shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and the fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night for ever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The Revelation chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. 
but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and breadth and height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth chrysopasis, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the End Time Tribune. Let's get Brian up to the plate. Got much more to cover. Brian, jump right on in here and let's get started on your news rant. All right, I'm uh, getting in here as we speak. Got me in here live all right? Yep, hear you just fine. All right, yeah, it's just uh, determining where do we start this. I mean, good grief, this entire week has been an absolute storm of... Storm of material, um, with everything I've been working on here, I would say that everything that we've been working on here for years upon years on end now has come into its final culmination. Well, so Brian, let's do this. Right? Let's, let's do this. I want you to start this way. You sent me that RT clip last night. 
and it was just off the charts to see what was there. And a simple fact that <laughs> you and I had covered this some years back. So why don't you tell everybody about that first? Why don't you? Well, most certainly, you know, I pulled the article up, you know, we had this article that was released and it was actual video that was released in um, April, the first of April of 2011. And if people can recall back, we did a video in 2012 um, about David Flynn 888 and the uh, center of time. And it was really strange. I'm going through all this old material, looking at um, putting up some of this stuff back up from archive files and so forth. And, you know, I grabbed that video out of the folder that it was in when we had those going up to iTunes. And I was just going through there to see how much work I would have to do to get this video up to par. And lo and behold, it goes into the first news clip that we put in there. And I literally could not believe what I was saying. Now, this uh, story that was released out of uh, RT News concerning the Georgia Ossetia War was entitled, War Crimes Wash Off with the West's Help. And it basically goes into, you know, to give a little bit of a, I guess, leader in. It starts here um, as top officials worldwide rally against Muadar. Gaddafi's actions, which I would take note of that, folks, because we're going to have to touch on what's happening here in Libya, because as I suspected, there's a lot more to this. Nonetheless, the reaction looks pale as leaders in recent conflicts get away with their crimes. If they have the backing of the West, the 888 war is long over, but Georgia has kept on accusing Moscow of violating an international Convention during the conflict in South Ossetia. On Friday, the UN International Court closed the case filed by Georgia against Russia, Hasashi Awanda. The head of the UN's top court said that it has no jurisdiction in the case because Georgia did not attempt to solve the issue with Russia before filing the case. Georgian President Mikhail Shakashvili gets a warm welcome everywhere he goes. Odd for someone who just three years ago gave the order that led to the death of hundreds of civilians in the Republic of South Ossetia. As the billionaire Donald Trump puts it, we're dealing with one of the greatest leaders in the world. Did everybody catch what I just said? Now, folks, I have this video up at Overt Attention show on YouTube, which is a tiny, tiny little clip showing that, but I also put a, a surprise blast from the past up there as well and reposted that 888 video that we did concerning David Flynn in the center of time. And I will be unlocking that as soon as we get off air, it's on private at the moment, but once we get off air, folks, you can push play and see what we were covering in 2012 concerning this uh, this Mr. Saakashvili, who was born in 1967, December 21st of 2012. And if you recall back, folks, we did a 
calculation backwards on air a few weeks back that took you straight to December 21st of 2012, which was from the last moon of that blood moon jubilee. So then you, you know, I stumble on this and I begin to realize, okay, with the more evidence I've dug into concerning Paul Manafort's role in this, what happened here in the uh, last administration, or not this last administration, during the election cycle, you just you begin to find more and more and more and more evidence that is pointing you to the fact that he was playing the role of more or less a intelligence operative. Because what they want you to think is that well, he was backing the Russians. But, folks, you need to start looking at this stuff in a whole new light. And once I explain some other little things from across this week's uh, work, all of these things are going to become into stark clarity. We have this leader of the United States as we speak. Here he is in this video. He has this thing stating, make Trump stands with Georgia. And then lo and behold, you come along to find out that he also had a plan, basically, real estate plan. Trump and Saakashvili unveiled plans for the Batumi Tower. And this was on April 22nd of 2012. You know, and the key thing that you really have to take note of there in that video, and you really have to ask yourself, because they start out stating, world leaders. World leaders are cozying up to Saakashvili, which it is common knowledge now that that action he took by firing all those rockets into the middle of Ossetia in the middle of the night there, this was an absolute war crime. And it's everywhere in broad daylight, there's no denying it. There's no saying the Russians were bad. The atypical McCarthyism that we seem to have just out there in full prominence now. You know, and when you begin to c- combine these two events, you begin to combine the fact that we had Trump already postured as a world leader at this point in time. Because, folks, this goes back much further than you really think it does. And then on top of it, I, I can show beyond any shadow of a doubt that what Manafort's role was in the Ukraine was bringing in those mercenary snipers that were responsible in the Maiden protests that they turned around and they blamed on the Russian president when we talk about the fact that there was a phone call. I'm trying to find this here, folks. I'm sorry. I have to have like a hundred different things open here trying to get prepped for this. We basically had this uh, leaked phone call between a couple of people that were high up in varied places in uh, governments. And essentially here, because folks, it's almost 
sort of creepy when you consider the fact that something else happened major with Estonia yesterday as well. But we have this leaked phone call that came out, and the Estonian foreign minister had confirmed the authenticity of this leaked call. And folks, in broad daylight, they point out that this was not, did not have anything to do with this Ukrainian leader that was more or less backing these Russian uh, ties within the Ukraine, but it has everything to do with the fact that they're stating flat out these were not brought in by him. They were mercenaries that were brought in from somewhere else, and they were ordered to fire the trigger. Now let us reconsider what was stated with the uh, with the varied investigations that went on concerning Manafort with these Russian ties, because they begin began to find some leaked text that came from the mouth of his daughter, and there's a whole other extensive amount of material in these very investigations that have been going on, where it's being clearly stated in broad daylight, his daughter is stating he was the, um, you know, he ordered the hits for these people, and he's got so much blood on his hands, it's ridiculous. Okay, he goes on to say, well, my intentions were only to work with the West in these matters. But folks, this gets more messed up the further you look into it. Because you start looking deeper into some of these things. You know, for instance, we have this article that was released in 2014 uh, from the political, from one of their investigations, which ironically enough, with all the um, intentionally plotted uh, keep everybody's head spinning in circles, you know, just fixating on the Russians. Yeah, folks, you're going to understand why I'm saying this here in a little bit. We have this article that comes out in March 5th of 2014, talking about the mystery man, Ukraine's U.S., and pay attention to this word, everybody, fixer. Now, the further you look into all these things that are going on here with what happened in the Ukraine, you're going to find out that another excruciatingly and almost as if they just completely ignore it while everything is going on here. We have this man named Roger Stone. Now, almost right on time, right on target, about 14 days ago now at this point, Netflix put out a hour and a half to almost, it's almost two hour documentary called Get Me Roger Stone. And once again, he is one of these infamous fixers, as they would call them. I don't know, you know, for people here in the Western nations that have access to different television programming, there is a show that is out there that I started watching a while back. Um, I think it was out of boredom and just to check something different out, but nonetheless, it's called Scandal. And what this program is about is this woman that's this fixer. And you've got all sorts of, to put it nicely, it's almost as if they fictionalized this very person, gave it a bit of a different spin, yet left so much stuff in broad daylight, it's utterly to the point of being ridiculous. Now, as you go in and you look at this 
Mr. Uh, Roger Stone, which, like I said again, it's almost as if they just ignore that connection with Manafort as we keep looking through all this spin, you know, spin us in circles, have the ultimate distraction that has been purposely created so that we can't see what is going on here. And it just, it gets to the point of ridiculousness. Now, this Roger Stone, you know, I found some articles that came up back in the Washington Post back in the 80s. Well, who is this guy? Well, at 19 years of age, he was in the uh, investigations and brought before the varied committees during the Watergate scandal at 19 years of age for his role with basically passing money back and forth between one person to another. Now, the further they go into this, for instance, right there in the beginning, if you really pay attention to what's going on, you're going to notice, for one thing, he's got all these ties and connections to these different corrupt warlords and people that have committed genocide. Certain little really important details, at least if you have the backstory to understand why they should stand out. Because these very same people that they point out right away at the beginning here, they're completely tied in to this group that throws the uh, yearly prayer breakfast at the White House, which I have referenced several times now, and I'm just hoping that people, you need to look into this deeper. Okay, but all of a sudden you find out all these same people that this, uh, this group, this fellowship, the uh, family, you know, it just depends on whatever name they want to use, founded by this Abraham Verdi. Lo and behold, all of a sudden you seem to have all these same paths crossing each other. Now, the more and more you begin to watch through this, okay, they bring up the fact that, you know, they had this whole basically lobbying network going on and, you know, essentially these fixers basically grooming politicians to put them in the White House. But then they say something that really catches your attention. They point out that they have basically been grooming Donald Trump since 1984. And who was it that Roger Stone was working with in hand in hand with this firm? Well, it was Stone and Manafort. So now all of a sudden you got these two key players just working together nonstop here. And essentially what they stated is there was points where we thought we could bring him in. But we decided to make, wait. Because we had to wait until A, everybody was obsessed with entertainment and B, the right-wing crusaders were filled with hatred. This is literally what they did, folks. They were waiting for this very moment to bring him in. And you can quite literally see, the further you go along, that they engineered all of this chaos during this election cycle, the the whole quote-unquote Russian hacking scandal. Folks, I pointed this out before. Breitbart News, as a matter of fact, thought they were funny when they released this, when they they dropped the whole WikiLeaks bomb with all that uh, CIA 
material that had supposedly been brought forward, et cetera, that they can basically leave little signature things in there to make it look like somebody else did it. Well, for me, that was sort of a, um, you know, the infamous, um, duh, because I'd known that for years. That's not really rocket science if you understand how this stuff works. But nonetheless, here's Breitbart News after this is released, and they're bragging about this fact. And here when you basically really pay attention to the things that are being said, you begin to realize what I've stated before. It was this group that was behind all the hacking that was going on into the Democrats, into the DNC, every bit along the way. And they literally admit it to you if you're paying careful attention. Now when we come forward to this Manafort circumstance, you know, if you're, once again, you really have to just listen and listen and ingest everything that's going on because if you don't, you're not going to catch it. You know, they're bringing up, well, did you set Manafort in place? Oh, of course I did. Well, we know he set him in place. Well, what about this Russian thing? All of a sudden, it becomes full well apparent that the entire thing that they did here, as far as this Russian end of things, with this whole big scandal going on, they did that on purpose because everybody likes what? They love their entertainment. So they intentionally put this nice little false lead out there to get everybody spinning in all these directions, and we've got this full-blown McCarthyism going on now because of this one little detail that they started with. And it just, this, this documentary alone gets to the point where you really begin to just become highly disturbed by everything that they are stating in there. Now, this uh, Roger Stone, you know, the infamous, they call him the Prince of Darkness. But to take it further, this week Frontline also released a documentary called Bannon's War, which I finally got the time to sit down and watch last night before I went to sleep. Once again, you've got the same scenario right in front of your eyes. Now, there's one little scene in there, though, that I want everybody to pay attention to because they go through and they start showing these controlled demolitions. You know, he made all these just, uh, I don't know how else to put them, psychotic, let's blow up the entire world type films. But once again, all of a sudden, you see all these buildings going through and controlled demolitions that should sound familiar to people by now. The first building they show states Manafort on it. So I'm just sitting here looking at this last night going, you've got to be kidding me. Because you have one side that is saying, well, Bannon's the guy that's whispering everything in his ear. You know, he's his right-hand man. But all of a sudden, you know, you have Stone here saying, well, I, you know, I didn't have anything to do with all this. I stepped backwards, blah, blah, blah. Lo and behold, see, I caught it on the Bannon piece last night, Roger Stone is standing right behind Donald Trump when he's giving the inauguration speech. Okay, so what in the world is going on here, folks? Because now we're literally seeing something that has been planned, set in motion, and as we've brought up many times in the past, they also had to have a scapegoat for everything that they're doing. 
And it gets to the stage you can't escape this. Now, these, these allegations, all these ties with different things going on in Russia, there is things that are happening with Russia. But all this strange stuff happening with this administration has gotten so complex that luckily enough, uh, Jeremy Cahill, who is behind this uh, work on Blackwater and the other movie that I brought up last week concerning the uh, Joint Special Operations Group, or basically JSOC, has begun to sit down and try to try to basically understand what is going on here. And they're basically tearing through all this stuff because this is where the simplicity of the matter really starts to shape itself up. Because as I've been looking over all of this, just absolute insanity that has been going on with all this, you, you really get to the stage where you start realizing that We've got wars being waged here where they are purposely creating wars to do the typical rake in all the money you can get your hands on scenario going on. And that's only going to lead you to one place, folks. That is only going to lead you back to the Iran-Contra. Now, let me see here. I need to find that proper one. Now, there was a um, one of the podcasts on uh, that Jeremy Scott did on the, uh, let's see here, that would have been April 5th, I believe, and it's called Trump's Secret Little Prince. And uh, the second guest that is brought in is named Congressman Dana Rohrbacher, our wait. Never mind, I'm sorry. There is a, basically this interview is going on between somebody that is working within the government. And the more that they're going through and talking this back and forth, all of a sudden they pop the perfect question. And here's the question that was asked. Well, let me ask you, you know, Congressman Dana Robrocker, who himself had a very colorful past, is very close to Eric Prince. He at one point compared Eric Prince in a positive way to Colonel Oliver North, who was, of course, at the center of the Iran-Contra scale scandal. Colonel Oliver North, the effort to conduct those covert operations was made in such a way that our adversaries would not have knowledge of them or that we could deny American association with them or the association of this government with those activities. And that is not wrong. And goes on to say, and what I wanted to ask you about is if, as we've reported, and now the Washington Post is confirming, if Eric Prince is in the role as a sort of shadow advisor to Donald Trump, while at the same time doing business with the Chinese government and other foreign governments, including, you know, this guy, was a former Navy SEAL who had secret security clearances and has been able to walk the halls of the CIA. What are your concerns about Eric Prince serving in this kind of unofficial shadow capacity advising the President of the United States? And then Rep. J.S. goes on to say, well, if you look at Oliver North, 
and you look at the Iran-Contra scandal, that's exactly what we ought to be scrupulously avoiding. Trying not to have people who I think are quite aptly associated or at least compared to Oliver North. This is the kind of thing is going to erode all of our foreign policy, further degrade, you know. The Trump's administration done a pretty good job so far, but further degrade that trust then, trust that any foreign country, any ally can have in the United States of America, dealing with countries that are not our allies in ways that are just meant to enrich Eric Prince and his new company. And he should absolutely be barred from doing any kind of business with the government, particularly while he is already under surveillance for things like money laundering, etc. So, I mean, it's just outrageous, not surprising, but should be the light should be shown on him. And I'm so happy that you are part of the effort and have been. You know, and this, this goes on for quite some time here. And folks, you can go over and listen to this at theintercept.com. And then it's 2017 dash four dash five intercepted podcast trump's secret little prince and they've got the entire written out um, documentation of everything that was said in that interview as well so you know and we we keep all of a sudden we just keep coming back around to this eric prince eric prince why in the world because everything seems to keep tying to him over and over and over again you know, folks, and there's a lot of things going on here that you really have to comprehend about who this man is. I mean, we've got him. We have this article that was released on March 24th of 2016. Eric Prince in the hot seat. Blackwater's founder is under investigation for money laundering ties to Chinese intel and brokering mercenary services. So this is once again, you have this over at The Intercept. Now, this is on top of it. You know, as I stated, it was it was almost as if we started watching the the opening volleys of World War III begin last night. Because I'm just seeing one thing after another after another happening. As we had Ramadan fire off, we literally had well, I don't know how else to call it, but a holy war begin, because we had. Two people that had their throats slashed in Portland, Oregon, that were defending this couple of Muslim women that were being assaulted by this crusader scumbag on this bus screaming all this garbage. The atypical stuff that has been going on since this administration started moving itself into place. And all of a sudden this guy pulls out a knife, stabs him. I see this and I'm going, This you've got to be kidding me. Yesterday we had this thing happen with Estonia where you have these uh, Estonia expelled two Russian diplomats and Moscow vows to retaliate. Once again, you've got the same thing going on there, folks. And this thing has already gotten... So you'll get these little tidbits in the news, but there was actually some different video documentation out there that was done that's showing this is not no little thing to... Just look the other way on. Now, we know we had this, this major terror attack that happened in Manchester here in the UK where, and the whole thing just does not make sense because, for one, they had this concert going on and lo and behold, you had the suicide bomber, suicide bomber that somehow was able to get into this concert. 
You know, but here's the thing. It's like a friend of ours here locally brought up, you know, when you go to a concert here locally, you can't even get a beer into one of these concerts. How in the world did somebody get a bomb vest in there? So you just, something is happening here with the UK that's really beginning to rattle your cage when you start understanding that first off, the cyber attack, they knocked all those hospitals out. Now we had this terror attack that they came in and blew up these kids. And it's just, it's definitely a horrible thing that has happened here. Then on top of it, all their flights got grounded because their entire IT network was taken out worldwide. So those planes were not able to get in the air. But this is where you begin to wonder. Because something else happened in this same window because RAF scrambled fighters out all of a sudden randomly out of nowhere and what it stated is they were going after some Russian bombers that were coming right over Britain it it just kept building here we have this Libya situation that now all of a sudden after we have I mean I don't know how many people watch this um, I watched it live basically with this whole gathering together of all the uh, Gulf nations And it was literally, it just kind of made you go, what in the world is going on here? Because you've got every single one of these Gulf nations, including, you know, hey, uh, you had Abbas in there as well, the Palestinian leader. You had all these leaders from all these different places. And you sit there and you listen to this thing and you're just going, this isn't making any sense. Because don't we all recall how his election rhetoric was all about radical Islamic terrorists and we need to do this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, all of a sudden we have this whole group in there signing this little document stating we're going to bring an end to all these things going on here, et cetera, et cetera, and stop different religious acts from happening. Yet, folks, if we look backwards to the supposed roots of this whole war, when it fired off in 2001 and everything else, have we forgotten who the chief players were as far as their story was concerned? Because they literally just gave billions of dollars, signed an agreement with all the people that have been caught up in terror from the get-go. Let's talk about the House of Saad, Osama bin Laden, who I've told everybody before, the United States was using him with the Mujahideen groups that were keeping Russia out of Afghanistan. Okay, well, he's got ties to the House of Saud, folks. He's a prince. All of a sudden, yesterday, we have reports coming out, or it's in the last couple of days here, actually, that 28 Egyptian Christians were killed in a bus attack, and next thing you know, all of a sudden, Egypt is bombing Libya. And you really have to kind of ask yourself the question, since when have we seen Egypt ever retaliate for the Christians that have been killed there in Egypt? Because we've had ISIS coming into this equation attacking them. You know, it's been reported for quite some time. Then we had all the stuff that was happening during the Arab Spring going backwards as we kept moving along throughout Egypt's history. You know, after we propped up a schooled in American leader in Egypt... 
this kind of thing has been happening all the time. But all of a sudden, randomly, they all decide, hey, wait a minute, we're going to finally do something and we're going to go in and start bombing Libya. We had all kinds of things happen here in Libya in this last week. Just They're blaming what happened in Manchester. They're tying this to people with Libya. You begin to really kind of scratch your chin and go, what in the world is going on here? Well, here's the thing. We're back to stage one again of One Belt, One Road. Because, you know, you can just type Libya, China investment into whichever search engine you prefer to use. Also, let's see here. GCR News Chinese Consortium to invest $36 billion in Libyan. You have this coming up nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. It's like I said. Chinese consortium to invest $36 billion in Libyan infrastructure bonanza. This was written in 26th of October 2016. Okay, we have another article that was just released here. Let me get the top of the date here. Okay, this was released 15 hours ago. Five reasons, reasons why oil could be headed higher. Once again, you have all this stuff going on with all these wars breaking out. All of a sudden, we got Libya all over in this. China, for Pete's sakes, folks, something is seriously out of line. This entire week, on top of it, we were harassing Chinese warships. I mean, we we're harassing the uh, in the South China Sea. We had our warships out there harassing them. We had two, um, two or three Chinese fighters on top of it come over and basically escorted them out. We had planes on top of it that were caught over there and escorted out once again. Another intelligence gathering plane was sent that way. And this isn't even even touching on North Korea. Because North Korea it is heading towards a showdown so fast, this is utterly ridiculous. But on top of it, do not forget their posturing towards Iran. Because really when he was going out to do these... Uh, this whole quote-unquote peace deal, he was railing everybody forward to jump on Iran. Now, I know we've all had our eyes on watching what was going to happen here in Israel over this last week. Were they going to announce the embassy move? Were they going to announce the capital? The, me personally, the further this went on, I really began to suspect that it wasn't going to happen. And here's why. First off, we, you know, we have to look at the fact, for one, okay, they're a big target right now as Iran. But the second factor, it's as I stated before, folks, you need to look at Psalm 83 again. Because this commander-in-chief has just armed all those people to the hilt. You know, there was all sorts of strange things that were going on as far as the meetings that happened there in Israel. I didn't even get to look at what happened with this meeting with the Palestinians. Then we had Trump walk into NATO this week. And through all those meetings, good grief, it was just, it was utterly ridiculous because 90% of his speech was pretty much nothing but insults about everybody there. You need to start paying us money, etc. Then you see this little clip where he's walking down this hall. You know, and he's behind these different uh, folks, and then this, the guy that they're getting ready to put into NATO through Montajuro in the Balkans, he just, like, completely plows over them, runs in front of them, and then stands there like, the, you know, the bully on the block, 
looking around with this mean old face and spinning. You're just going, what in the world is this all about? <clears throat> but let us not forget what they released in that 68-page document concerning the Republican National Convention, where they stated in there emphatically, we are leaving NATO. Okay, so now all of a sudden they've got NATO postured to move with them. They're saying that we're going after ISIS, even though they're telling you that ISIS is pretty much done for all over the place in the news. Well, folks, this is posturing against Iran. Okay, Britain on top of it, as far as North Korea is concerned, they also started speaking up in tandem with the United States. And we know all the trouble that's been going on with Britain, with the Brexit, and so forth. Okay, they removed themselves from the European Union, and this is causing all sorts of problems. It just it keeps spinning. It keeps spinning and keeps spinning. And I just I want people to consider this little clip I'm going to put in here real fast, and I'm going to hand the mic back over. Because, folks, I'm going to tell you something right now. You need to pay attention to what Eric Prince is getting ready to do. Because as I stated, we had already showed up in the news 13 dead as Taliban car bomber hit CIA-funded Afghan militia. Folks, he's telling you that we are going... He does a pitch in this story that they're going into Eden. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, you need to understand what happened during World War II when they came in and they targeted the Netherlands and the Dutch people because his uh, forebears came over here in the 1800s from their Dutch by descent. And with all the different work I looked into on this earlier in this week for other purposes, those people have been targeted specifically. They started targeting with uh, Nazi Germany then when they brought Operation Paperclip over here, once again, they began to target the same group of people. I've stated this time and time again. We talked about this quite a bit over the last few years. Why in the world were the Germans wanting to be somebody they weren't? They kept saying we're this Aryan race. But folks, if you look at the genetics of the Y-DNA tree, from the people of the Netherlands, they're not even remotely close to being related to the Germanic people who are Gomer in the Bible. The blonde-haired, blue-eyed people, that's Ashkenaz, and that's down the R tree. Okay, it's not even in the same Y-DNA. And when we did this video on Eden, we told everybody, folks, look, Darius the Great, he stood up and made this infamous statement about, I am an Aryan from Ariyah. Well, everybody, Ariyah is there in Afghanistan. It is right down there where Havilah, good and gold, Lapis Lazuli, this just keeps going. He was making a claim to the vine kingship through that location of Eden. We had the same thing happen with Alexander the Great because he came right up going straight to that place. There was not one thing that was done that was not done intentionally and he was going for that same title that same kingship okay we also have on top of it we have Eric Prince's family when they moved here they like I said they were Dutch folks they came on over here sat down in Holland Michigan 
they were part of the Dutch reform movement, which was basically pretty much a form of Calvinism. And we've talked about that before concerning theocracies. But later on in life, Eric Prince himself then all of a sudden decides he's going to roll over to the Catholics. So all of a sudden he becomes a Catholic and then he bridges this gap between the evangelists. Well, they call it the neocons, basically, where they brought the evangelicals and the Catholic Church together. And uh, all of a sudden, next thing we know, we have this nice little tight-knit thing going on. Folks, we pointed this out time and time again. Blackwater started by using the foot of a bear. Okay? Me and Matthew in a private discussion, as he brought up, what doesn't everybody understand about forces? That's plural. From him shall arise, from the Assyrian. Now, everybody, this contractor group, this empire of his, they have been hiring mercenaries from every single place in the world. That's always the way this has been set in motion. And that's where I want to touch on real quickly because John Sartwell sent something really interesting this week. That first I kind of looked at it and I'm like, okay. But, you know, obviously a lot of people's attention has been garnered by what's happening here on September 23rd with the sign from Revelation 12 that's appearing in the heavens. You know, and, and obviously I kind of looked the other way when I read this at first because I'm going, this is just a bunch of esoteric mumbo jumbo. So I decided to go over and see if there was even any reality to what's going on here. And the first image that you bring up, well, it's, it's an infamous uh, giant that's been, it's been in that whole region out there by Stonehenge and all that. They've known about this thing for ages. It's not a crop circle. So that's the one thing that irritated me. Like, that's not a crop circle. What it is is it's a sign of the strike. But then when you go and you look at this crop circle, you pull it up, and it took me two seconds the very moment I actually found it through a site that I know to be reputable and you can verify their source material that they just, they don't make things up. It was the Fatima apparition of what happened there in Fatima, Portugal, folks. We had the 100 year anniversary of this was on May 13th, but they didn't pick just any day for that 100 year anniversary. They picked... the day that was known as the third secret when that was revealed. Now, this crop circle, they found out about this. It was found on May 22nd. That was nine days later. Folks, nine times 24 is 216. 216 is time. That's a representation of the nautical miles of the planet. So what in the world was this message saying? Let's break it down. For one, it was stating time. But what is this infamous third secret that the Vatican and everybody else is when she didn't even want to write it down. She didn't want to pass it on. She finally said, well, if you're going to to her, the priest, et cetera, said, if you give me orders, I'll write it down. I'll pass it on. But lo and behold, basically the guy went and prayed about it, et cetera. Then she wrote it down, sent it over to the Vatican. Everybody had been sitting back going, we need to see this. Well, she only wrote a little tiny note that stated that do not open this until 1960 because it will not become clear until then. But of course, when they saw it over in the Vatican, you better believe they didn't open it. 
Because what this message was telling you is that the great falling away, the apostasy, was going to begin in 1960. And look, folks, that's when everything began. We had the entire hippie movement that happened here in the United States. We tie that into absolute and broad daylight. We had the signs and wonders movement break out. An adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. What further brought about this apostasy in their realm in the Catholic Church? Well, they joined hands with who? The evangelical churches, which Eric Prince was a primary backer in making this happen. You just keep going in these same circles over and over and over again. Okay, this, this Fatima prophecy on top of it, as things go along further, all of a sudden they bring up Revelation 12. That's a very odd, odd, odd thing to happen. But these people didn't recognize what it was. Now, there is a documentary out there that you can take up, take and look up called The Secret Still Silent, Silence the Fatima documentary, and it's from a year, few years back. But I want to get this clip in here first, and then I'm going to hand it back over to people after I uh, get done playing this. Just give me a moment. Isn't the only foreign policy concern we face, despite the news of the past week. President Trump is about to visit numerous countries during his first trip abroad as president. He's considering a proposal to send thousands of U.S. troops to bolster Afghanistan's government. Eric Prince is a former Navy SEAL. He founded the private military company Blackwater. Some reports say that he was in the Seychelles recently to establish a back channel between Trump and the Russian government. He says that is untrue. He joins us tonight, but undeniably has views about Russia. How? Well, first of all, that's not true. The reports are not true. There's well, first of all, if there is this, this leftist uh, conspiracy of this great Trump and uh, Putin conspiracy, why would I have to be meeting with anybody in the Seychelles to establish a back channel anyway? It's <laughs> you can be meeting at Starbucks on it's, Pennsylvania it's Avenue. It's a self-defeating argument. Good point. Uh, how should we see the Russians? Look, the Russians suffer from Islamic terrorism as well, whether it's uh, attacks in their subways, their schools. The Beslan massacre killed over 300 kids. Uh, it, they, they suffer from it as badly as we do. So that is actually one area of common interest that the United States, Western civilization, and Russia should have with the Russians. That seems an obvious point. Trump ran on that point. A lot of people thought it was common sense. Why the resistance to that among foreign policy professionals in D.C.? It's amazing. When I grew up in the Cold War, the left loved the, uh, the USSR. Yes. Never wanted to, never, never criticized it ever. And now that you have a a more authoritarian but not a communist running Russia, they are the bad guys. It's, uh, it's amazing how that works. Is it because it's Eastern Orthodox, because it's an Orthodox country? Is it a religious question? I mean, what is that about? They're not embracing uh, the leftist worldview, I guess. I mean, this, this rush to judgment by the left, I guess, is kind of perfect for the Democratic Party, the, the party of, of lynch mobs and, and Jim Crow laws, rushing to judgment without much fact. It's bewildering to me. So Afghanistan, the president apparently is considering sending more U.S. troops there. You spent a lot of time there and in that region, and you have an idea for what we should do with Afghanistan. What is it? So we're spending, as a country, $42 billion there this year. There's 8,000 troops. Three-quarters of them never actually leave the base. If you look back in history, the way the, the English operated in India for 250 years, they had an army that was largely run by companies uh, and no English soldiers. So very cheap, very low cost, very simple, very, very adaptable. The president needs to appoint one person in charge in Afghanistan. We've been through 17 commanders 
in 15 years. And that's not even counting ambassadors and all the other officials. So you put one person in charge and allow them to negotiate with the Afghans the rules of engagement. Because right now the rules of engagement are so tight that when you have uh, soldiers in contact fighting for their lives, they have to talk to a lawyer 500 miles away sitting in air conditioning to drop a bomb. Huh. It's not a serious way to So you would there. replace a military occupation with the American South Asia Company or something like that? Something like that, sure. You, have, you already have a 300,000-person Afghan security force, but they fall down because they lack logistics, they lack the professional enabling functions because they're, we, we, we rushed into this into, into people that were largely illiterate and not capable of doing those functions, and now they're behold, berupt, uh, uh, corrupted. Uh, and they fall short on fuel supply, on, on air support, on all these basic things that the home team should have in fighting against the Taliban. So it sounds like, finally, you don't see any kind of conventional military solution where we just occupy it into submission. Not at all. They're, they're, we, we've fought for the last 15 years with the first infantry division model. Now we should fight with a East India Company model uh, and do it much cheaper. There's a trillion dollars of value in the ground, mining, yeah. uh, minerals, and another trillion of oil and gas. And that's the U.S. Geological Survey estimates. But yet you don't have a, a mining law in Afghanistan. Even the whole approach of, of placing U.S. bases was all done to control land and territory, right. but not the arteries that actually make money. That's how the Taliban makes money, money now. Lapis, gold, marble, pistachios, uh, and, of course, opium and, uh, and hashish. It might benefit America, though, so I know they'll be against it. Eric Prince, thank you. That was interesting. Bunch of Democrats want the president impeached over Jim Comey's recently released memo. Greg Jarrett of Fox says Comey cannot accuse Trump of breaking the All right, and there was that clip. Now, folks, you took note. He brought up the lapis lazuli, the gold, the geological mineral. But did you notice what he said about the East Indy Company and the mercenaries? Okay, we take this into Afghanistan, folks. I've brought this up, the great game. The great game. He just told you in broad daylight, we want Eden because they got the gold, the lapis lazuli. Remember the great game? And that's what I got to say on this to get you guys in here for this last 10 or so minutes. All right, Clinton. Uh What's your comments on what Brian had to talk about? I did find that extremely interesting. Uh, it's it's amazing what the American military is going through right now. What's your thoughts, uh, Clinton? Well, you know, if we privatize the military, and, and we definitely have, uh, you know, Blackwater is exactly that private company that's a military. Um, we risk a very slippery slope um, because if uh, people's ability to survive themselves depends on the actions of the corporation and that corporation carries guns, um, that's a very slippery slope because then ultimately you're going to have people that if they want to keep their job and their livelihood, they're going to do whatever they're told to do. And um, Afghanistan may be the beginning of that, um, but we also have facets of that expanding possibly into the United States um, as we militarize our police force. And so that, that kind of makes me a little eerie and, and scared about that as well. And Brian said one other thing that I want to talk about, which is this attack in Portland. Um, I mean, as things develop, you know, everyone be careful 
Um, it's going to get nasty. And yes, you want to stand up for people and yes, you want to do what's right. Um, but this story in, in Portland is absolutely horrible that the two men had their throats slit for standing up against someone who is basically yelling racial slurs at people. Um, that's unfortunately the world that we live in and what's headed. So, you know, everyone, please be careful as, as things develop. Amen to that. Amen uh, let to me that. actually interject something here real fast. Um, now, you brought up the privatization, and I think it's really important that everybody understands this. Okay, now I have one of the articles up here that is called Rumsfeld Revolution. This was written in June 30th of 2001. Now, everybody, you need to understand something, though. Rumsfeld had been actually setting this in motion for years upon years on end about the privatization of the military. Now, one year to the day, or not day, but that same month in September of 2000, he stood up and stated that they were going to privatize everything, including the Pentagon and the military. Now, they wrote this bill into place, and they, you know, basically, well, they're like, this is going to happen slowly unless we have something along apocalyptic proportions take place. On September 10th, 2001, he said, we are now moving the privatization into place. Now, the day before. Now, you can look this up anywhere, folks, and you can find out that exactly what I just said is true. They were already setting this in motion. He stood up the day before, and what got hit, everybody? One of those planes hit the Pentagon. Then they began to bring people from the private sector into the Pentagon. Okay, we don't need to really go here. It's kind of like right in your face. And, I mean, let's take the privatization thing a bit further. On top of it, what did we just have move into office in the White House. Okay, this guy's a billionaire from business dealings. Once again, privatization. We've got Betsy Davos, who has been doing all this insanity out in Michigan. They've been handing out these uh, vouchers and everything, privatization of the schools. So as far as the privatization of the military goes, this actually has already been set in place. This is why they've gotten away with using these mercenaries and getting away with using JSOC for instance. So I just want to interject that and clarify that real fast. Yeah, that clarifies it all right. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That was September the 10th. That was the day before 9-11. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're, we've been in a different ball game for a while. And you take note that Mr. Prince was very irritated that they would have to call lawyers to get permission to bomb civilians. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm almost tired of saying it. The United States military, any military, is only allowed to engage other military. And Look, if you take out American soldiers, of course, Mr. Prince would be able to just kill anybody. Well, I guess he already is, so enough about that, huh? 
I did want to say this. Uh, something caught my eye this week, and it really did concern me before we go. Headline this week, U.S. beekeepers lost 33% of bees in the 2016-2017 season. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to a very bad place. I know most people hate bees, but the colonies that they're talking about are the ones that, you know, they take to the fields so the fields can be pollinated. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you enjoyed this week's broadcast. I hope that it brought you up on to speed and Please look for Brian to do other things over there on that uh, new format he's got. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, from the In Time Tribune crew, God bless. Godspeed. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus